What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Lights Out. This is a very disturbing case for sure. But in 2006, a group of teenagers created a sect of Satanism out of rebellion. And this group was first started by Konstantin Baranov with his old friend Nikolai Ogolobiak. They felt like they needed to take it a step further and start performing sacrificial rituals. The rumors began to spread about this group. One told the story of members digging up a body of a recently deceased girl. The rumors said that they ate her heart. Allegedly, he wrote the notes in a book that was bound in the skin of the victims, as well as removing their hearts and the tongues before cooking them and eating them. And he was released as a free man. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Lights Out. I'm Josh, and I'm joined in the studio by my best friends. Oh, man. Wow. That's he, that's what you guys are today. I mean, you guys are my best friends, but... He said today. today. He's today. Like, just today. tomorrow. tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> but Austin and Danny are here. What's up, guys? Hey, man. Bit of a cold spell here in Colorado. I mean, it's cold in the winter in Colorado, obviously, but it's like below zero yeah today. and and given the setting of our script today you know it's uh, this episode it's russia's blown into denver here seems like it man it's a bitter cold out there yeah. I'm, and i'm not normally cold at all like i i sleep in practically below freezing like even even right now i turned our heat off last night really <laughs> bold move and it dropped to, i think it dropped to like 58 or something and in the middle of the night kendall wakes me up and she's like josh it's too cold <laughs> go turn on the heat so i wouldn't turn it back on because i don't know i get my best sleep when i'm like same they say it's actually good to sleep in cold temps so i love when it's cold i i, I mean if i could i've roommates so i have to keep it a little bit yeah. higher because they're kind of babies about it but sorry johnny and sam <laughs> but uh, i i would keep it at like 50 55 if i could during the night it's like perfect it's like yeah i want to get into bed and like snuggle up like feel warm under the covers yeah. i don't want to be like oh it's too hot i got to take the covers off yeah agreed i'm the same way well speaking of the cold we are going to be uh traveling over to russia today to talk about a devil worshiping cult and an individual by the name of nikolai ogolo biak and there's a obviously going to be a lot of russian pronunciations in here and we're you know i don't speak russian i barely can speak spanish well, a few words in spanish so we're going to do our very best to pronounce their names and some of the places uh, as best as we can but we might get it wrong yeah so we apologize beforehand a blanket apology before this yeah. whole thing please don't come for us <laughs> if our russian is not very good but this is a, a very disturbing case for sure um so just forewarning i mean i think everybody here who who tunes in weekly on lights out kind of knows what to expect at this point yeah uh you know we get into some pretty gnarly gruesome gruesome stuff here so this is no different um this is right up there with uh some of the the worst stories that we've covered here on the show but nevertheless i think it's it's one that probably a lot of people haven't heard of i mean just researching this particular case was pretty tough right yeah well a lot of it was through russian publications which i had to use like some translation browser software to to even piece the story together some of the translations is a little weird but uh i got as much as i could and luckily there was some stories out here on this because i think it's also an important case to get out there which i think a lot of people don't really know about what's happening currently and yeah, I, I certainly didn't know much about the Russian criminal justice system and how they deal with heinous killers. I mean, yeah, the crimes wild. that this group commits is is beyond disturbing and, and disgusting. And it seems like they, you know, despite what uh, their leaders say that, you know, they do when it comes to criminals like this, seems like it's very uh, almost like a slap on the wrist yeah they're letting everybody go honestly it's wild it's absolutely insane and so obviously for the sake of the victims of this particular case uh you know they still are 
wanting and in desperate need of justice uh, for what was done to their loved ones because it is is terrifying so with that being said buckle up because uh here we go so our story takes place in the city of Yaroslavl. it's about 170 miles northeast of moscow the city and the surrounding areas is heavily forested with long cold winters and short warm summers it's one of russia's oldest cities actually it's founded in 1010 that's what is that like that's like eight thousand years ago. <laughs> like, my God, that's a long time that's ago so old 1010 yeah. yeah russia has a pretty deep history i'm not super familiar with it but it goes way back and it's i always find it interesting that when people were finding places to live, they're like, oh yeah, this terribly densely forested, uh, extremely frigid in the winter place. Let's, this is where we're going to set up shop. I mean, isn't that most of Russia though? Yeah. A lot of it, especially like Siberia is basically just a tundra. Yeah. Which I know a lot of nomadic tribes still live there and stuff, but it's very hard to Siberia. Yeah. Siberia and stuff. God. But this, this particular town or city is is known for its beautiful church architecture which they definitely have some very uh beautiful churches there and cathedrals i mean historically orthodox christianity is one of the biggest faiths in the area but in 2006 a group of teenagers created a sect of satanism out of rebellion and this group was first started by Konstantin baranoff and he had just reconnected with his old friend nikolai ogolobiak now, Constantine and Nikolai had met in school and had become friends, and they bonded over their interests in hiking, camping, navigation, and sailing. They both sailed in competitions in Volga and Rybinsk, and Nikolai would even go on to study navigation after high school. He never became a navigator because he had failed the vision tests, because Nikolai is actually partially blind, so he ended up training as a boat foreman instead. Despite the two teenagers sailing together, there were a few years when Nikolai and Constantine didn't talk. When Nikolai was 17 and Constantine was 15, they reconnected. Constantine was always into trying new things. He mentioned his new clan to Nikolai and he joined in. He was introduced to all of Constantine's other friends, including Alexei Chistakov. Constantine dove into the Satanist reading material. Now, we don't really know like what this material was. Unfortunately, not. Um, so it's really hard to say. I mean, it's probably some. I don't know off brand something they found on the internet yeah. most likely or some random book somewhere but when they'd all get together they started mimicking some of the rituals that were in this material they were looking at but they also spent a lot of their time just hanging out and drinking drinking is a big part of of what these guys do and kind of mix that with devil worshiping you can only imagine where things go yep so within a year of forming this group three more members joined the satanic sect a hierarchy then began to grow, and Constantine just took the leader position. Nikolai considered himself a, quote, novice, but we will see a bit later. He would become the group's enforcer. He hadn't really read it into any of this material. He didn't know what the Satanist books were. He just kind of went along with whatever Constantine said. So he just took his word for it, and they went on. By 2008, reading these books and basically how... Nikolai said they were just playing devil worship. It just wasn't enough for the group at that point. They felt like they needed to take it a step further and start performing sacrificial rituals. So they started going around town, killing cats, dogs, and rodents during their rituals, which we've kind of seen this before in in these niche, fringe, satanic sects uh, where they start killing neighborhood animals. Yeah, it always seems to start with animal sacrifice. Yeah. I mean, because ultimately they want to bring blood into the into the picture. And exactly. That's the easiest way in their eyes to, exactly. to get it. So any new members who wanted to join were usually initiated with the blood of the animals by having it smeared on their faces. They began to meet at this vacant lot behind 5th Torfiani Lane. And this lot stood between a private plot of land and an old cemetery. It was also located in the police station district on the south side of town. And here in this lot, the Satanists soon installed an inverted cross in the vacant field, and they would also tie the animal carcasses to this cross 
Other times, they would light up a bonfire and burn the animal remains in the lot. But, so where's the police at? Yeah, I know. You know Isn't that crazy? The district where there's police. I mean, again, I don't. I know nothing about how police operate in, in Russia, but yeah. I would assume it's somewhat similar. Like, they at least patrol. Patrol, yeah, I'm so. not sure. But, yeah, they're in the police district just getting drunk and hanging out in this vacant field and killing Jesus. animals. Yeah. Soon enough, the rumors began to spread about this group, and one told the story of members digging up a body of a recently deceased girl, possibly from that cemetery that was right next door to the vacant lot. And supposedly, the rumor said that they were ate her heart. What? A crazy rumor. Oh my God. And although these rumors at first seem ridiculous, soon enough, we'll see that this is actually pretty close to the truth here. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that they actually did this. Yeah. As disturbing as that is. Yeah. Meanwhile, kind of on the side, the founder, Constantine, had fallen in love. His girlfriend's name was Ksenia Kovaleva. It started with them exchanging love letters that continued long into their relationship. And many of these letters will later be used as evidence in court. But in these, if you, I couldn't find them, but... They called each other nicknames and constantly told each other how much they loved one another. In every single letter and every single text message, they said things like, I'm crying, I miss you, Bunny, my beloved, I love you. So it, it definitely seems like very youthful love here. Yeah, it seems pretty soft for a bunch of devil worshippers. <laughs> yeah, if you right. ask me. I mean, <laughs> my God. I, I think what that shows you, though, is just how young and immature these yeah. guys are mm -hmm. the, the very like early obsessively in love type stuff like sending letters and right. constantly texting each other back and forth yeah so, i mean we all did that i feel like yeah yep we there's always that time we all did cringy things in our youth yeah i still do that honestly <laughs> yeah i still call my loved one bunny <laughs> i love you bunny this episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you know you get that farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. I love HelloFresh, it's great. It skips time at the grocery store, which I just hate going to. It's such a waste of time. I get lost in there, feel like a little kid, get distracted by the bright colors, you know? With HelloFresh, you could just skip all that. It comes straight to your door, you cook at home, it's awesome. And if you're like me as well, if you want to skip the grocery store and you want to save some money because maybe, you know what, it's a New Year's resolution you might have. It might just be a personal goal of yours. You can save money. You can eat better. And you know what? It's just less stress across the board. I work full time. You guys out there probably work full time. Thinking about going to the grocery store and cooking a whole meal and finding a recipe for it. Sometimes we just don't have that time. I just get home after work, all my food's there. I just pull out the recipe card and bam, whip it together in a few minutes. It's, it's delicious. I just made this corn bisque. Oh my gosh, it was so good with some garlic bread. Dunking that, it was so good. And you know what I also love about HelloFresh is that you can kind of push the recipe card to the side and, you know, just start blasting it with more seasoning if you want. I always load it up with more seasoning than, than what they require in there, but... You know, you just spice it up a little bit. I was dumping hot sauce in the corn bisque. You know, it's it's good stuff at the end of the day. Another thing I love is that the portions are actually real portions. When it's like, I always see like, oh, this feeds a family of four or something. And it's like, I sit down and consume the whole thing. I know they're lying to me. With HelloFresh, you actually get like four full meals. So I love that because I love eating. I'm a big guy, so I got to eat some food, right? I'm a grown boy out here. So you know what? It's January this time of year. Everyone's looking to revamp their eating habits. So look to HelloFresh's wholesome health forward options like over 30 calorie smart and protein smart recipes each week. So you know what? Go to HelloFresh.com slash lights out free and use code lights out free for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while the subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at hellofresh.com slash lights out free with code lights out free. So the couple was clearly in love at the time. It's believed that Constantine was so in love that he was willing to kill for Cassinia and he knew her initiation into their Satanist cult. It just had to be special. So 
she would soon become the first of the Satanists to be initiated with human blood. So clearly trying to show off, it seems like. For my girlfriend. Right, right. Yeah. right. Oh, we're not going to do animal blood for you. We're going to get human blood. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the future victims were teenage girls about 16 or 17 years old named Olya Pyukova and Anya Gorakova. And they had met one of the members at school through a study group. And soon the two girls were interested in the rest of the Satanists. You know, I, I can see how they might be intrigued. And, you know, if you're kind of on the outside at school and, you know, you, you have an opportunity to get in with these guys, you know, you might be like, okay, what's, what's going on with this? Yeah. This is definitely weird, but and you know, there's alcohol there. So like true. that's the hookup, you know, in summer of 2008, the Satanist started meeting at Nikolai's apartment. He had the place to himself because his father didn't live with the rest of his family and his mother spent the summers in their country house. Nikolai was 18 at the time and he had two part-time jobs. He took night classes and he was dating a girl he planned on marrying. He hoped the money from his jobs would be enough to one day move out of his parents' apartment, but he had a bad habit of blowing his paycheck with his friends. He was always the one buying booze for the Satanist meetings. And one evening, on June 28, 2008, the Satanist stocked up on alcohol and met up at Nikolai's apartment. The Satanist's new friends, Olya and Anya, joined them. According to Nikolai, the girls had called him earlier in the day saying that they would join the party. Nikolai claimed he tried to dissuade them, but they insisted. At the time, the girls considered themselves as part of the goth subculture, but they never had anything to do with the satanic rituals or animal cruelty. Anya wanted to join them because she was romantically interested in one of the members, Alexei. When they were all together at the apartment that evening, they began drinking. That night would be the night that Konstantin would initiate his girlfriend, Ksenia, and once the group got Anya and Olya drunk enough, they lured them to the abandoned lot where the rituals normally took place. They lined up so that they formed a pentagram and in the center they lit a fire. Olya and Anya didn't really know what they were getting into at this point, but they just followed along. It isn't clear exactly who had come up with the plan, but when the signal was given, the Satanists lunged at the two girls. They dragged them to the ground and several daggers were drawn. The cultists then stabbed both girls to death Anton, also known as Dr. Goth, then took out a machete and beheaded both of them. Then the cultists took out their phones and began taking pictures of the girls' severed heads. Once they were satisfied with the pictures, they began dismembering the bodies. Limbs and organs were removed. They cut off the victims' scalps, breasts, and genitals, as well as removing their hearts and the tongues before cooking them and eating them. They collected their blood in the meantime, and Ksenia then smeared the blood on her face. During the initiation, she chose the nickname Kara after they took the bodies and buried them in several pits along with a small rodent near the ritual clearing. Once the bodies were in the ground and covered, they all returned to Nikolai's apartment, and supposedly everyone passed out drunk. By the next day, June 29th, they had all decided to keep murdering. A young man named Andre Sorokin had known the previous victims and the current Satanists, and he was friends with all of them. He traveled about an hour and a half from Rabinsk to hang out. A girl he had just started dating named Varya Kuzminya also joined him. The Satanists had always asked Andre to join the cult, but he always refused, but he still enjoyed just socializing with them as friends. When he and his girlfriend arrived, he told the Satanists that some of the parents of the victims were looking for them. The Satanists were worried that Andre would possibly tell the parents of the victims or the police about how Anya and Olya had been with the cult when they disappeared. Nikolai later called the couple, quote, unnecessary witnesses. So at some point, the group decided the couple would become their next victims. They all met at Nikolai's apartment as usual and began drinking. And then they headed over to the vacant lot. The plan was to murder them both, just like they did with Anya and Olya the night before. But at some point, Varya became uncomfortable and asked if they could leave. She could sense something was wrong. But the newly initiated Kara distracted her before they could go, and she began chatting her up and eventually convinced Varya to stay. When she calmed down the Satanist figure, they didn't have much time, so they attacked her and Andre with knives. Andre tried to fight back, but he was outnumbered, and the cultists stabbed him and Varya to death before dismembering them. As Nikolai stabbed Andre, he shouted the number of blows out loud. 
One rumor spread that he ended up stabbing him 666 times while counting each stab wound as it happened. By now, Nikolai had officially been given the role of warrior in the group. Supposedly, he was the one who always initiated the killings, and he was the one to deliver the final blow by cutting the victim's throats. Alexei had been given the role of hellish secretary. He would take notes. Allegedly, he wrote the notes in a book that was bound in the skin of the victims. Anton, or Dr. Goth, was the organizer, and he had planned the get-togethers and the rituals. After the murders, they burned Andre's clothes in a ritual fire and buried the bodies near the lot. After this, they agreed to stop the murder rituals, at least for a while. They were worried that the police would catch on to what they were doing, and, as you're probably thinking, they were right. But it would take a few days for the victims' families and the police to notice what was actually going on. Even though four victims were now buried at the lot, some of the victims' parents weren't concerned yet. They thought their sons and daughters had actually gone off to the, quote, Invasion Music Festival. This is the largest open-air festival of Russian rock in the world, known as the Russian Woodstock. It was usually always held the first weekend in July. It was later canceled in 2020 and 2021 because of COVID-19, and in 2023 it was canceled because of the invasion of Ukraine. But in 2008, that would have been the ninth invasion festival with about 100,000 attendees. After the weekend was over, the victim's parents noticed that they never returned home. So in early July, their families had reached out to the police, and search parties began to form. And it didn't take long for the police to connect the missing victims to their Satanist friends. One of the victims, Varya, had called a friend before she was murdered. She had told her she was headed to Nikolai's apartment the night she went missing. So they picked up Nikolai in Rybinsk and took him in for questioning. He was the oldest in the group. For many, this also meant he was the most responsible for what had happened. After they brought him in, they also brought each of the suspected Satanists in as well. At first, they denied knowing each other. They had deleted their contact info from each other's phones, thinking they could outsmart the police. Then they also wrote text messages backward to each other. A series of interrogations lasted only a few days, and the founder, Constantine, was the first to crack, and he ended up showing police where they had committed the murders and where they buried the dismembered corpses. After the rest found out that Constantine had confessed, they all decided to confess too, including Nikolai. After realizing he was the only legal adult in the group, Nikolai's first thought was how he could get a shorter sentence. So keep that in mind that he's the only adult in this group because that'll come into play during the sentencing and, and the trial. But as of now, only one of the original members, Anton, who aka Dr. Goth, hadn't been found by the police yet, but his friends ended up giving them his description, which was long black hair, he was covered in piercings, and he often wore black nail polish. And they gave officers his exact address, which was where they eventually found him. But when Anton answered the door, one of the officers described him as a, quote, an absolutely normal guy. He didn't look anything like how his friends had described him. He had cut his hair, changed his clothes, he didn't have on any nail polish, and at first they thought that they might have actually had the wrong guy. Then what's strange is that Anton wandered out into the street, and he then started acting strange and appeared to have some sort of mental break in front of the officers, like an episode of psychosis was going on or something, but officers weren't sure if he was just faking it or not. In the end, an ambulance then took him to the hospital for a short stint where he was later diagnosed with schizophrenia and although he appeared to be having some sort of break the officers still took him in for questioning and in the back of the police car he was saying things like quote satan is standing behind us he will take revenge on you all satan is extending his hand to me he acted strange until they got into the station and then the officers claimed that he was just acting normal again so I don't know what's going on here, huh. but throughout a series of interrogations with Anton and the rest, the officers, they kind of had to win them over one by one and kind of become their friends to get any information out of them. They even had to start studying Satanism and reading some of the books and that material that we were talking about earlier, just to be able to kind of communicate to them on a, on a, a even level here. Their investigation lasted for months. They had to piece together each relationship with each person and the communications between them all, which really wasn't that hard. They were just like, oh, you've been writing messages backwards. You're not as smart as you think you are. 
And they really had to understand who was responsible. That was the hard part here because there were so many of them that they had to figure out, well, who was calling the shots? Was everyone in on this? Is this a grand conspiracy theory? So the investigation went on for some time and the forensic work was also difficult. Since the victim's bodies were mutilated and dismembered, it was hard to tell which body part actually belonged to which victim. So they had to run countless DNA tests, which took a very long time. And since these tests took a long time, the families of the victims weren't even able to obtain the bodies for burials for several months, which is very unfortunate. But investigators also discovered there were more potential victims who were almost murdered by this Satanist cult. They had planned on killing another anonymous girl, but she managed to escape by offering her blood. Pretty smart. Instead of killing her, she had somehow convinced them to just cut her hand with a blade and drink her blood. Then they released her and she never returned. Another victim might have been a young woman named Maria. She had previously dated one of the victims, if you remember, Andre. And at the time, he had introduced her to some of the concepts of Satanism. He was kind of interested in it because obviously all of his friends were interested in it, but he had never wanted to join the cult with his friends. Maria claimed that they dated for a long time. He was super sweet. He always got her nice gifts. He wrote her love poems and letters, but eventually it didn't work out. They broke up. Andre then started dating Varia, the other victim, right before they were both murdered. And one of the last times that Andre communicated with his ex-girlfriend, Maria, was through a strange message. He had said that he needed one of his gifts back that he had given her, and it was a small plaster dog. He claimed that the small figure connected them somehow. He recently had a premonition that he would die soon. And if Maria still had the dog, she would also die because of some supernatural connection through this dog figurine. So she ended up just giving it back to him, and Andre was unfortunately murdered a week later with his brand new girlfriend. He had messaged her one last time wishing her a good morning, and on that day, he was later murdered. So Maria thinks that, you know, if I was still dating him at the time, I would have shown up to that same party, and she would have been another victim. Wow, I really wonder how much he believed in this stuff. Right, yeah. It seems like, I don't know if it was a ploy just to see his ex-girlfriend again. Be like, hey, yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen that before where it's like, you give, it's like, oh, he still has my hoodie or something, you know, like <laughs> yeah. it's just one last thing to, so you can one keep more opportunity contact. to yeah. talk to them again. And yeah. Or he actually believed there was some strange supernatural I really thing going on. I feel like they did to some extent, you yeah. know, like there was whatever they were doing what i mean to go to this extreme to do what they did i feel like one must believe in this beyond just like an interest level true yeah right like because ultimately they believe they're you know in in many of these different satanists or devil worshiping sects believe they're doing these rituals and therefore getting power from the devil and you know getting closer to him and you know kind of gives them it it's so bold what they did i mean to burn you know all bodies and and or bury bodies out in this field and burn you know clothing and i mean how did nobody see this going on yeah and that's why i think andre had to have some idea of what was happening and that's why they even said you know he kind of warned them like hey people are looking for those last two victims so he must have connected the dots somehow and kind of known it's strange that he would still willingly go to that vacant lot knowing that knowing what happens there murdering people there yeah this podcast is sponsored by embrace pet insurance it's 2024 do you still have pet insurance whether you have a dog or a cat embrace pet insurance offers customized plans for your pet's exact needs Did you know every six seconds a pet parent is handed an emergency vet bill of $1,000 or more? I've had to go to the emergency vet a number of times over the years and definitely was well over $1,000 for those visits. And with vet prices going up 33% from 2022 to 2023, now is the perfect time to get some pet insurance. 
And what's great, if you have multiple pets like I do, I've got three kitty cats and four dogs. So that 10% multi-pet discount really comes in clutch. I know a lot of us are often skeptical about buying insurance, but with pets and with the way vet costs are going, it really does make sense to get pet insurance just to have that peace of mind. Plus Embrace has a 24-7 helpline, which I really love. There's so many times for me over the years where one of my pets has had an issue and it seems really serious, but then you know you call and hopefully you get through to somebody at the vet clinic and they're like, uh, you know, may or may not need to bring them in. Oftentimes they'll tell you to bring them in and you know, then you're paying for a vet visit. Like there's one story where when one of my dogs, Bernie, was a was a young pup, he uh he was acting really weird, kind of lethargic, and that he was our first dog, so this this explains why we freaked out. But he he was just acting really weird. He wasn't eating, and so it was late, it was like nine o'clock at night. We rush him over to the emergency vet clinic. And we're super concerned about him. We think he's like got a serious issue. And they brought him back. They did the basic checks. And turns out the dude was just constipated. He took a dump on the vet clinic floor. And then he was back to his tail wagging. And he was good to go. And this dog is like the most emotional, dramatic dog I have. Guess what? That visit cost me like 500 bucks for my dog to take a poop on the ground. And we left. So, you know. Had I had pet insurance, probably would have been a lot cheaper for me. And uh, yeah, that was a tough lesson to learn. So don't wait for the unexpected to happen. Join the massive community of pet owners who trust Embrace Pet Insurance to protect their pet. So head to EmbracePetInsurance.com slash lights out and sign up for pet insurance today. That's EmbracePetInsurance.com slash lights out. One last time, make sure you go to EmbracePetInsurance.com slash lights out. Check them out today. But by the start of the trials, the investigation had lasted well over a year, and the case materials had more than 35 volumes of evidence. The first closed hearing began on February 24, 2010, a year and a half after the murders took place, and their sentencing was held on July 26, 2010. Six of the accused walked into the courtroom. Anton, or Dr. Goth, Makovkin showed up wearing an unbuttoned shirt that exposed his chest, and he was also wearing makeup. He posed for the journalists in the courtroom and even snatched one of the journalists' microphone while the others hid their faces, including Nikolai. During the sentencing, the judge asked if any of them felt remorse, and you can probably guess what Dr. Goss said, but it was a simple no. The parents of the victims also stood in the courtroom and they had to listen in detail of how their children were brutally murdered, mutilated, cooked, and then eaten by this group. According to Russian law, the punishment for a minor cannot exceed 10 years regardless of the number of crimes or the brutality. That's insane. Yeah, I'm I'm all for being more lenient towards children, essentially, but that's wild. Regardless of the crime, it's 10 years max. But remember, Nikolai, he was 18 at the time, and he was the only legal adult involved in the murders. So in the end, Nikolai was found guilty of two counts of murder committed by a group of persons by prior conspiracy, desecration of a burial, and desecration of a body, and he was sentenced to 20 years in maximum security prison. The founder, Konstantin Baranov, was found guilty of organizing the murders, murder committed by a group of persons by prior conspiracy, desecration of the bodies of the dead, and theft, and he, because he was a minor, was sentenced to 10 years. Alexei Solovyov and Alexei Chistikov were given nine years for similar crimes. During Ksenia Kovalova's trial, her lawyers claimed that she had terminal cancer diagnosis. It's believed her defense exaggerated how severe it was to try and get a lighter sentence, and they even tried to get paperwork from her examinations published in the local newspapers. She ended up being sentenced to eight years for the crimes. Sergei Karpenko, who did not directly participate in the murders, was sentenced to two years. As for Anton or Dr. Goth, Makovkin, he was sent to compulsory treatment in a psychiatric hospital. And that's a, an indefinite sentence. It's basically like, if you can get better, you'll be released. So is was he playing the game? Right, yeah. Uh, or did he really have schizophrenia? Yeah. And they also say, though, that sometimes it's kind of a 
crapshoot. This is as far as I researched into psychiatric hospitals or being sentenced to psychiatric hospitals in Russia, that sometimes you think you're getting a more lenient sentence because you can, hopefully you'll be like, oh, I'll get better and then I'll be released or something like that. But sometimes they're kept there for an even longer time period than Than the actual sentence would be. Yeah. So it could potentially be more than 10 years. Yeah. So 10 years after the sentences were handed out, almost everyone was released. Cassinia was the first to leave and her sentence was reduced from eight to six years because it was confirmed that she had been diagnosed with leukemia. Some claim she died soon after her release, but her social media accounts were active for some time after. Alexei was released in 2017, and on his release, his girlfriend said she didn't believe he had committed the crimes, and they went on to live in St. Petersburg. He later claimed none of it was his fault, and he said that the officers who interrogated him pressured him into a confession. Anton, or Dr. Goth, avoided prison entirely. He went to a psychiatric hospital and was released after one year. He then disappeared from social media. The prosecutor is still confident he faked mental illness to avoid prison, and it was also discovered that he might have faked mental illness to avoid joining the military years before joining the Satanists. It's reported that he even faked a suicide attempt. Alexei Chistikov went back to live in Yaroslavl. Konstantin, the founder of the cult, was released in 2020, and his whereabouts are unknown. While the rest were free, Nikolai spent several more years behind bars. He was sentenced to spend the majority of his time in a prison colony, similar to the old-fashioned gulags. Many are known to have harsh living conditions, if you know anything about gulags. But Nikolai was transferred to a safer colony at some point during his incarceration. And Nikolai spent most of his free time with woodworking. He carved small ships, backgammon boards, and decorative boxes. He also studied geometry and got a job as an assembler of plastic products. He soon became a foreman with his own team of assemblers while incarcerated. One of his old professors was shocked when Nikolai went to prison. They said, quote, Those who knew him in college, the teachers, couldn't believe he had done this. He was quiet. For a long time, we didn't believe it was him. They also mentioned that they believed he had a troubled home life, which we don't know that much about. We couldn't yeah, find. Unfortunately. Because I, I, that's where I, if we were to look at the home lives of all these, these kids, there's probably issues there. Yeah. And I know like they're, the father didn't live with them, which is strange, even before they, were, they later get divorced. But the father wasn't around at all. And then the mother would just take those vacations up to their second home. And so Nikolai was just left to his own devices. Tons of freedom, yeah. yeah. So who knows what was going on. But while he was in prison, he was visited often by his close family, and they always sent him letters and postcards. When he was transferred to a further prison colony, they stayed in touch by phone. By 2022, he still had about seven to eight more years left on his sentence, but he found a way to get out of prison early. Because the head of the Wagner Group, a Russian state-funded private military company, had just arrived at Nikolai's prison colony. He was looking for prisoners willing to participate in, quote, special operations in exchange for amnesty. After a few delays, Nikolai eventually signed his contract to fight, even though his mother begged him to stay in the prison colony. And even though he had poor eyesight, the Wagner group still accepted him. At 33 years old, he was drafted into one of Russia's, quote, Storm Z battalions and later given a full pardon by Vladimir Putin himself. Despite the fact he's blind. Yeah, he's blind. and Partially blind. Yeah. And, a, and a cannibal. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. yet they're still letting this guy out. This is where the story really gets interesting, in my opinion. It's blows my mind that they're so desperate for troops here that they're just they're ready to hire anybody. So these battalions, they've been called literally called penal battalions because many of them are made up by prisoners. And out of this desperation, Russia began recruiting its prisoners. And since the invasion of Ukraine, it's estimated that Russia has recruited somewhere around 100,000 people from its prisons. Whoa. Yeah. The Storm Z troops were assault troops meant to break through the most difficult areas in Ukraine. So, front lines. Basically, cannon fodder here. The Kremlin later made a statement saying that, quote, those convicted of even the most serious crimes are atoning with blood for their crimes on the battlefields. This was obviously a controversial move, right? Local media outlets in Russia have reported serious offenses, including murder by former prisoners after they were discharged from their military service. Because that's the thing is, if they get wounded or discharged for any reason, they're just, it's not like they go back to the prison. Yep. They're just released now. You're pardoned. Yep. 
and we'll see this has happened to a lot of people, including Nikolai. It's also been reported that Russia has seen a rise in murder rates for the first time in nearly two decades. Now, this is especially near the Ukrainian border, and this could be due to many factors. You know, who knows? You can't really boil it down to one thing. It's a multifaceted issue here. But the Moscow Times reported that the increase in homicides, domestic and police violence are both directly and indirectly related to the invasion of Ukraine. They also mentioned PTSD among soldiers as a factor, but these studies are still ongoing. This is still a developing thing, and this war is still happening as we speak. To make it even worse, you know, as we said, Nikolai was basically blind before he was recruited into the military. So they're basically just trying to They're get not even, anybody. like, worried about that at all. It's like, we're just going to send you to the front line. We need bodies on the field. But by November of 2023, so very recently... Nikolai was already back home with his family. He only spent April 15th to July 16th, 2023 in the military. So a very short amount of time. Nikolai, as we were just saying, was wounded in battle and he's now disabled. He's walking again, but the wound was severe. According to Nikolai, this is what happened. He underwent 11 operations after his injury. It was reported that a fragment from a mine that had detonated went straight into his stomach. And he began first aid on himself out in the battlefield and was then dragged by four others, put on a stretcher, and carried 2.5 miles through mortar fire to an ambulance, where then he was taken to a hospital. Many, including himself, thought he would die from his injuries. I mean, usually if you get struck in the gut. Yeah, it seems like a mortal, mortal wound there. Yeah. In October, uh, he had healed up by then. He was released from the hospital, given documents, paid an undisclosed amount of money, and he was released as a free man. If this isn't already concerning, Nikolai is not the only one who has had a tragically horrific history and has been released. There are many others. Another murderer, which I'll mention, I'll, I'll give this kind of the short story here. 27-year-old Vladislav Kanyas was also released from prison in the same fashion. He had spent three hours torturing and killing his former girlfriend, Vera Pektelova. Forensics reported 111 stab wounds to the victim. The neighbors even called emergency services seven times, but no one came. In a recorded emergency phone call from a neighbor, Vera's screams were played in court. After stabbing her, he then choked her with an electrical cord of an iron and killed her. Her family and friends could not recognize her during the funeral. When he testified in court in 2022, he said, quote, When I was hitting her, I did not like that she was screaming. I wanted her to shut up. This investigation lasted 22 months. He was found guilty and sentenced to 17 years and ordered to pay $45,000 to the family of the victim. But here we go. Less than a year later, he was sent to a Storm Z battalion in April 2023 and pardoned for his crime. He also no longer had to pay the $45,000 to the victim's family. Plus, in recent years, Russia has relaxed its prosecution and punishment on domestic violence crimes. So I, I'm not sure why that is, uh, but Vera's friend Tanya Peskova told The Atlantic, quote, I'm afraid of every noise now that she knows that this guy, Vladislav Kanyas, is just free. She's also worried that someone out there who doesn't know this guy's background might wind yeah. up in another relationship with him the same way that Vera did. Are they not worried about these killers going out and just killing more? Clearly not. And the killers have no reason not to. Yeah. They're like, oh, they'll just send me back out to fight more and seriously yeah come back you know right. it's like the cycle continues yeah there's no actual punishment going on here really exactly. i mean and more he, justice for the victims in this, this I, particular case. i was even reading that even people in russia who are very pro uh you know lenient on sentencing and and rehabilitation and stuff like that they're even saying that this is like extremely concerning terrifying yeah by june 2023 it was reported that 32,000 of the recruited convicts had returned home as free men. And we're not talking to just like drug dealers or like nonviolent crimes. We're talking about this is murderous, heinous, heinous killers. Yeah. 
murders. Here we go. If the, I mean, if this wasn't already extremely concerning, another serial killer, 44-year-old Dennis Gorin killed. He had four confirmed kills, possibly up to 13, but he was convicted for four. And he was another cannibal, just like Nikolai. He ate two of his victims. He was also released not long after Nikolai. He was also injured and returned home. Even though he was originally sentenced to 22 years, he only served five, then had a short military sentence, was then freed because he was injured. Now he's just back on the streets. One of his neighbors said, quote, this is, this is where it gets really interesting. Yeah. The neighbor said, quote, I don't think he'll be free for long. His victim's relatives all remember him. So I don't, I'm curious if we'll see some like vigilante justice going down yeah. over there because this is out of control. Several horrific crimes have been committed by these convicts since their return, including the murder of an 85 year old woman and the rape of two young girls but only the most brutal crimes have been reported and prosecuted. And in response, Putin admitted last June in 2023, quote, Indeed, there is recidivism, but then the person must be held accountable to the full extent of the law, no matter what. Since then, he has continued to pardon killers so long as they fight in Ukraine. Yeah, that's just a lot. Uh... I I'd just I'd be terrified. Yeah, if I lived in in Russia right now. And I mean, Putin's saying must be held accountable to the full extent of the law. Well, we're seeing the extent of the law here. The law is releasing them back into society, right? After they go fight, right? Yeah, totally disgusting. In December 2023, Nikolai sat down with an interviewer from the Russian publication 76RU. Nikolai enjoyed eating a strudel while explaining that the first thing he did as a free man was go to a hockey game with his family. When asked about the crimes, he said, quote, The past remains in the past, but he also admitted that after spending time in prison, he regretted his mistakes. He asked for forgiveness and said that his actions were the biggest mistakes of his life. He said, quote, Once again, I sincerely apologize to the relatives of the victims for committing such a stupid act in my youth. I sincerely regret this and repent. Of course, I think this most likely cannot be forgiven. After his release from the military group, he returned to live with his mother in Yaroslavl. His parents had divorced soon after his imprisonment, and he has since tried to find consistent work, but struggles with physical labor because of the injuries and his poor vision. He has admitted he has no friends now and spends most of his time with his family, especially his parents, who are the only ones who defend him. Since Nikolai's conviction, some of his other family members, including his brother, don't talk to him. He once told Nikolai, quote, My wife doesn't want to communicate with criminals. Now Nikolai dreams of finding a wife of his own and having children. He also thinks he'll make for a good father. He said, quote, My parents tried their best. I thank them very much. They provided me with everything. Now I am obliged to provide them with grandchildren. As for the victim's families, Nikolai claimed he asked them for forgiveness in court but he has not tried to contact them since his release. According to him, he has received death threats from the victim's family members, but in response he said, quote, I can understand them, maybe they said it all out of emotion, but still, God protects those who are careful. Man, that is, I just don't like anything he's saying. I know, pretty rich coming from a former yeah. Satanist who is also a cannibal talking about God. I'm not sure, uh, he just acts guy. like he can just like wash himself clean of everything that he did yeah and he's not you know he's saying things to publicly that you know make him seem like he's this reformed guy mm -hmm. yet you know his the family members of the victims are you know still i mean they probably want him dead at this For point sure. i mean yeah. some or back in prison at the very least yeah just can't even imagine how you would deal with that that stress and anxiety knowing that your loved one's killer is just living their life with no restrictions mind you yeah free man completely free. going to hockey games with his family talking about how he's going to start a family now it's just yeah. like, uh, so messed up thinks he's going to be a good father yeah right yeah okay dude he believes that if he just kept up with his sailing hobby and never gotten into satanism then all this would have never happened apparently now he has gained faith in god goes to church and wears an orthodox cross around his neck when asked if God would forgive him, he said, quote, The Lord forgives everyone. 
maybe he does. Yeah, I don't know. I, I can't speak for the Lord, but in this case, I mean, it's like you didn't spend enough time for your crimes, buddy. Yeah, you're still living here, buddy. Like, yeah. you still got to pay for what you did. As of 2020, Elena, the mother of one of the victims, Anya, says that she still has not forgiven any of the perpetrators, even when they personally asked for her forgiveness. She said, quote, I live in the memory of my daughter. She is with me in my heart. May this never happen again. I wish parents to live longer than their children, to be aware of their interests, to simply take care of them. I didn't save Anya. It's heartbreaking. That is heartbreaking. Just the whole thing's just a complete tragedy. And yeah. And I, I sense a bit of guilt there. She's like, to be aware of all their interests. You know, yeah. Because yeah. maybe she felt that she wasn't monitoring her daughter enough or something but i you can't she couldn't have predicted something like this would happen yeah i mean just because it's you know depending on your your belief systems and what you think you know you might look at if you're an orthodox christian you might look at somebody who's into the goth culture or even you know satanism or some of the darker darker stuff out there that you know, they're going down a bad road and, you know, what, what can you really do? Yeah. You know, rebellion's a real thing, especially in 17, 18 years old. So for sure. I mean, did you, when you were in high school, were there like the goth kid? Oh yeah. I don't know how prevalent they are. Are there goth kids still around in high school? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It, so that's still like a come back a bit. Yeah. Has it? Okay. Yeah. And they, I mean, they were harmless though. Yeah. Not like they were. It's just expressing yourself. I mean, yeah. it's easy to judge and be like oh they're evil why because they wear black and right you know have certain imagery on their shirts or whatever like yeah. it's just a way to express yourself it's like is everybody who listens to heavy metal a bad person or i hope not you know i listen to heavy metal. yeah so it's like <laughs> i mean i was a goth kid in high school and were you really yeah and i never wanted to eat people <laughs> come on man. we need to see the pictures oh no no though no, they are they are hidden and gone <laughs> i'm gonna ask and just read all the evidence <laughs> i'm gonna find those pictures well it's like you know i i think we all like participated in the emo culture too to some extent you know like that was a big thing and yeah i'm from the midwest midwest emo is a big that's right big thing there yeah it's like whatever it's just you know you're trying to figure yourself out as a teenager and you're expressing yourself in different ways and it's like who you associate with too yeah you oftentimes you know, would change your appearance to fit in with a certain group of people or, you know, feel accepted. And so it's a very normal thing. It's just, it's like, how do you know when they're taking it to the level of literally murdering people? Right. You know, it's just, yeah. it's wild that it got to that point. Mm -hmm. And I think alcohol probably played a huge part in the violence escalating, right? Like if you're getting raging drunk and there's knives and blood and, you know, you, you're worshiping the devil yeah i mean and we've talked about this before where we helicopter parenting is concerning and we wouldn't want to be like that you know i wouldn't want to be like that if i had kids but a part of me thinks it's like oh I, where is my son or daughter they're just going to this guy's apartment and getting hammered on the weekends or whatever i mean it's not necessarily a red flag because i think you're 17 years old that's when those things start happening more often so it wouldn't necessarily be a concern to be like, oh, they're going to murder somebody. But I think with the culture, with having this friend group that is descending into this ideology that seems to be maybe spearheaded by Constantine, and he's reading these books, and even Nikolai admitted, he's like, I didn't really understand what we were getting to, but we were still following this guy. So I think that like slow descent with the alcohol, with the unmonitored activity, kind of all of it, just ended up escalating i mean i can only imagine they were just consuming excessive amounts of alcohol to get to the point where you're not only murdering somebody but dismembering them and then eating them right i mean that is just like in a conspiracy too there's multiple right, people right. there yeah so that would yeah it's, it's honestly mind-blowing to think that it got to that point right and they're they're this young too right and i mean it's not unheard of by any means but i just i wonder i just wonder who really you know, was behind, behind it behind the, the whole shots. thing right yeah you know it kind of seems like it was at least you know nikolai was definitely probably the most influential person in the group but then dr goth 
Yeah. Which can we talk about that name? Yeah, Doctor Goth. Stupid okay. name. I know it's translated from you know Russian, but what a weird name. I and I I think that was his like when he was initiated. That was his like initiation name because they all got to choose their own. But yeah, I don't. I think also back to the who's responsible. It's easy to point out Nikolai, and I think you should point him out because he was the oldest one of the bunch. He was the one buying the liquor. He was the one offering his apartment for people to crash there. Um, so I think even if he wasn't actively planning it, I mean, he was also the enforcer. And we know that witnesses were saying like he was the one that was slitting the throats for the final coup de gras and things like that. So, and also just by nature of him being older, I think usually, I mean, when you're that age, I remember being a freshman in high school thinking that the seniors in high school were like adults. Yeah. Right. Totally. Like that age gap was so huge back then. So even if they're just a little bit older, you have so much respect for them totally. at that age. That's a good so, point. so I think just by nature of him being older, he's definitely yeah. responsible. I feel like the extremeness to the crimes was a way to control the rest of the group too, like to show just how powerful they were and how, you know how much influence they had over them and it's a way to blackmail all of them true you know, yeah you're now part of these all heinous of crimes yeah. so you can't you know oust us that's know. a good point yeah everyone was Even involved pretty much did in, yeah. in the end but i think yeah just like the crimes are just so heinous i just don't understand unless one of them you know i think mental illness could have definitely played a role in this and could have led to things getting as extreme as it did because it's just hard to really say how much they really believed in this you know devil worshiping and sect of satanism they were reading into and that's the big mystery too we don't have the materials that they were right we don't know right. exactly what they were looking at yeah i'm sure they're in somewhere in that like 35 volume evidence stack somewhere but yeah unfortunately that wasn't available to us so we're not really sure what they were reading what was influencing them to some degree but it's a damn shame that they're all all of them are free they're yeah. all free now none of them are are doing their time I, i'm i was honestly surprised to find that they they don't they just execute them for these types of crimes yeah they get their minors but i don't know yeah I, I didn't know that russia almost seems a bit more lax on their sentencing than here in the United States. I mean, we've covered a number of teen killers who get, you know, life in prison. Some even almost face death uh, in certain cases. So they do have the harsher penal colonies, though, where they, right, they'll put you to these hard, like you go to work and stuff. And that's very true. Yeah, yeah. It's like these terrible conditions in some of the penal colonies. So I think that's the trade off where it's like, yeah, you're only getting 20 years, but, but it's in hell. a big chunk of that is, yeah, exactly. You're basically in hell. But yeah, this one is shocking and disturbing and sad at the end of the day. Yeah. I can't imagine what those families deal with every day, knowing that they're out there and all the victims of these killers that have been released. I mean, that's, that's a terrifying place to be, knowing in the back of your head they could, I mean, retribution on, you know, what if you spoke out against one of these killers in court or something like that. Right. Yeah. And now this killer's literally roaming free seemingly no restrictions yep that's why even nikolai he was like yeah i've gotten death threats but also yeah it's kind of rational like he right. like, even he gets it so that says a lot i think that speaks volumes that even the murderer who was convicted is saying like i kind of expected death threats because i i think the reading between the lines there is that he's even admitting that there's some problem here even if he doesn't yeah. out, like say it outright He's accepting that the death threats seem normal because the situation's so crazy. At least it seems like he has some understanding of what he did. Yeah. Maybe some remorse for what he did. I think the comment about doing stupid things in your youth, I think that kind of holds true. Although I think that's still a bit insensitive considering all things. Considering yeah. it wasn't just like you were being stupid as a kid. You right. Were, you were malicious good. this yeah. is something evil. way worse evil than just being stinky yeah, evil yeah. is the word you were being evil and dui is stupid yeah, right, right 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 but slitting people's throats is 
and just consuming curious. them is, is evil. Like, yeah, that's not a stupid enough. childish mistake. That's, no, I don't like how he's downplaying the severity yeah. of his crimes. Yeah, agreed. When they are the most brutal things 100%. you could do to another human being, one hundred percent. And yeah, I don't know. I'm I I don't buy any of his shit. I think he's a uh, he's full of it, and I think the you know I found God. I'm changed. You know, I'm forgiven. Good for you that you think that, but everybody else doesn't doesn't agree with that yeah and even so. if god forgives you maybe you should just uh spend some more time in prison god will still forgive you in there but maybe you should uh head back yeah ah terrifying though but we want to know your thoughts on this one again this you know we we don't normally kind of go outside of of you know more of the english-speaking countries for the very reason it's just very difficult to to research these cases and really get like all the details and get the backstories yeah. and it's very very difficult to do it so we kind of went out on a limb on this one uh but I, I think it's still definitely a a case that people should know about but yeah and let us let us know if you like the international cases um i don't mind researching them they're they're sometimes a little bit harder but i think some of these stories need to be told because definitely i don't think anyone's really covered this story and at least english speakers haven't really gone into detail on this so yeah let, let us know if you enjoy these international stories a little bit more definitely but that's where we're gonna wrap up today we'll catch you guys next week with another one and until then lights out everybody <laughs>